Good morning, everybody. That, uh, that was really special for me. Um, somehow that third song when we were singing kind of just with the... It was great. I don't think I'll ever forget it. Thank you very much, and thank you guys for leading us. I appreciate it a lot. Um, welcome to Grace Bible Church. I am going to be covering 2 Corinthians chapter 11, which is 33 verses, and we have communion. So 33 verses, if, you, if you've been around and you know how I preach... Uh, 33 verses could be a really, really long sermon, uh, plus communion. It's like a Snickers commercial. Anyway, uh, what we're going to do in order to, to make it through in a, a way that gets you to lunch is we're going to cover a lot of ground. And when I read the text, I'm not going to circle back to everything. So I need you to help me by really paying attention when we read, because we're not going to go back and like walk through it again. So let's pray and we'll, we'll see how this works out. Lord, we do love you so much. It is great to, to sing songs about the gospel and the, the fact that we are one in Christ and that we, we stand in the gospel. Lord, there's no place else to stand. And so I pray that that would not just be the song we sing. I pray that it would be the conviction of our heart. And I pray that our conviction and our hope in the gospel would, would enable us to see the world differently, every part of the world differently, Father. Uh, God, by your Spirit's empowerment, I pray that you would work through 2 Corinthians 11 to shape us into the men and women you want us to be. I pray that you would protect us, you would give us freedom, you would give us joy, and I, I pray, God, that we would honor you with the lives that we live as a result of listening uh, to your word today. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today is my youngest daughter, Annie Kate's 18th birthday, and um, this was a little bit surprising to me. I was driving in kind of in the pre-dawn light of day, and I was thinking about her 18th birthday, and I was trying to voice text her as I drove, and I got overwhelmed, and I, I kind of started crying because she's, she's my youngest daughter, and, and I was thinking, you know, Annie Kate, she's going to be a high school senior at Memorial, and occasionally she goes out on a date, and, and so what I did is I, I made it kind of a family tradition, a family policy that any boy who wants to take my daughter out has, has to talk to me first. Wow. Um, uh, and, and as you might expect, some of you girls, um, Annie Kate didn't initially embrace that policy. Uh, she, she didn't love it a lot, but she acquiesced, and partly because she had no choice, but, but also because two things. One, she knows I love her, and two, I convinced her that it was my job as her dad to protect her, her, her and her, her sister, and, and it's my job to protect them until I walk them down an aisle and hand them off to somebody else, and, and when I do that, I'm charging them with protecting them for the rest of their lives. So that, that's how fatherhood works, and, and it's a big deal, and, and so I just, that's something I've tried to convey, hopefully to both of my daughters, but with that in mind, I want to turn our attention to 2 Corinthians 11, and I want to read you verses 1 through 6, see if you see any parallels. Paul's writing, he says, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, you being the church in Corinth, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as 
the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you received a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. So I hope that you can see that Paul is doing the same thing here that I'm trying to do with my daughters. Honestly, there's very little difference. In verses 4 and 5, we see that there are some slick-talking super apostles. And I say super apostles with air quotes because Paul doesn't think these guys are apostles at all. He calls them super apostles because they think they're super apostles. He doesn't think much of them. Super apostles is irony. And, and, and Paul doesn't like these guys. And these guys are tearing not only Paul down in his abilities, but he's also tearing the gospel that he has been proclaiming down. And the rest of chapter 11 is going to be Paul's defense of himself. And so when, when you have 33 verses of Paul defending himself, you might come to a few different conclusions on who Paul is. You, you might think Paul's really insecure. Like he, he's insecure, and so he's always trying to defend himself out of his own insecurity. I think you'd be wrong. You also might think, though, that he, he's super arrogant, which is another form of insecurity, honestly. But, and he's defending himself out of his arrogance. I think you would be wrong there as well. I think the reason that he spends so much time defending himself in this chapter is found in verses 2 and 3. Let me read it for you again. For I feel a divine jealousy for you, you again being the church in Corinth, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So Paul is going to defend himself. Paul won't sit silently, not because he's protecting his own reputation. That, that's not what's going on here. That, that might be what I would do. That's not what Paul does not because he's protecting his own reputation, it's because he's trying to protect his daughter. That's the deal. He's like, look, this is my little girl. Like, this church, the church in Corinth, is my little girl. And and I'm supposed to protect her to one day give her to her betrothed, the bridegroom. That's Jesus. We are the bride of Christ. One day, we'll be given to Jesus. And Paul, as the pastor, the planting pastor of this church, he's like, my job is to protect. Now, the reason I tell you all this, and if if you can hear me kind of getting worked up, it's a pretty good picture of the role that the elders and the, the pastors of Grace Bible Church have at Grace Bible Church. Like, our job is, is to teach the gospel well, ultimately to protect and to provide freedom for the people of God, and ultimately we do that out of a motivation of love. Like that, That's it. We teach to protect and provide freedom because we love, because we love the people of God. I, 
I think that's actually important to remember. And, And let me explain this. God's standards... And and when I say God's standards, everything that he is calling us to in Scripture, whether it is in congruence with what the culture says we should do or not, everything that God is calling us to in Scripture is first for his glory, everything exists for his glory, but equally so true, it is for our benefit. Okay, you need to understand that. Everything that God calls us to, whether it's cultural or counterculturally congruent, doesn't matter. It is for his glory and for our benefit. Because sometimes when we call people to things and and it is divergent from the culture, people who who are torn, who are caught in the middle and they're wrestling with, they might assume that the pastors and elders of Grace Bible Church are saying this somehow to limit them. Somehow to take away something that the world is offering. And and so you're like, oh, you know, those guys, they're kind of killjoys. And and maybe God is a cosmic killjoy. Maybe he's telling us not to do these things because he he doesn't want us to have too much fun. He's a fun regulator. That's what God is. That's what you come to think when, when you feel like he's holding you back. And that couldn't be further from the truth. God's standards, everything that he calls us to, are for his glory, but they are also for your benefit. So, if you are in sexual deviance, and that could be heterosexual deviance, or it could be homosexual deviance, it doesn't really matter. If you're in sexual deviance, and and the elders and the pastors of Grace Bible Church, and, and the community of Grace Bible Church because we are the priesthood of believers, is calling you to a biblical sexual ethic. It it is for God's glory, but it is also because we love you. Like we believe that God created you and gave you guidelines for how to live, and that includes sexuality such that he might protect you, such that he might provide freedom for you as you live under the ordinance of God. And, And so it's not to limit you, it's to protect and to provide freedom for you. When we talk about God who is a benevolent creator who created all things, and and when we talk from Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3 that God created man and woman, two genders, not 12 or, you know, with whatever little number up above it, I mean, like, Two genders, male and female, that they might be created to to exist complementary to each other. Two genders created to complement, like his order in creation is beautiful and wonderful. And if we can embrace that, we can embrace the life that he's called us to. And it's a wonderful thing that provides protection and freedom. Like we do it for his glory, but for your benefit. Look, when we talk about things as controversial as abortion, and I, I get that a lot of people here are torn on that subject. But, but ultimately, when we say that, that no Christian, no, no person should, should ever have an abortion, what we're saying is not we don't respect women's bodies or, or life or anything like that. that. That's the world's very lame argument for why we're saying these things. They have no idea. Ultimately, we're saying that God has created women with this unbelievable ability to bear children who are made in the womb in the image of God. And it is a precious and unique gift. And, and we're saying 
we should never like try to undo what God has done. And I get that there's a lot of hard things and circumstances that sometimes because we live in this fallen world create children that, that, you know, like, I get it's tough. But they are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God and they are placed in a womb by the Father. And and this doesn't have to do with, you know, a, a woman's right to control her own body. It has to do with a life that God has created in a woman's body. And that, y'all, if you can just start from God creates and God creates beautiful things, like this is not that hard of an argument. It really, it really isn't. The point is, just to reiterate, pastors and elders of any church, our church included, we teach to protect and to provide freedom because we love you. I, I promise that's, that's the point. And, and, and there's times that what we teach is going to look different than the world that you have grown up in. Like that, that's part of the deal if you're going to be a Christian. Like there are timeless truths. We think they stand the test of time. We think that God's ways are better than the prevailing wind of culture's ways. And we will continue in love to proclaim his positions. Let's look now at chapter 11, verses 7 through 15. As I read this, I want you to remember that Paul is being accused of all sorts of things. Here's the start of his defense. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and I was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my needs. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And Achaia is where Corinth is. And why? Because I don't love you? God knows that I do. Okay, so Paul is being attacked. And he's defending himself. And he's defending himself first and foremost by addressing his motivation in ministry. And the first thing he says in verse 7, he preached God's gospel free of charge. Free of, free of charge is one Greek word. It's doreon. And it means free. It means gratis. It, like Free of charge is a fantastic translation. Romans chapter 3 verse 24 says that we have been justified by grace as a gift. Some of you have probably memorized that verse. We have been justified, declared righteous by grace as a gift. Now, the first thing that you ought to think of when it says we have been justified, declared righteous by grace as a gift, that is an absurd redundancy. By grace, grace means unmerited favor. As a gift means unmerited So we have been justified, declared righteous by grace, by grace. You should be like, that's weird. Why would Paul engage in in such an obvious redundancy? And and the answer is, he doesn't want you to miss it. He, He just doesn't want you to miss what he's saying. We have been declared righteous, not by anything that we have done in ourselves, nothing. 
It is by grace, unmerited favor. As a gift, unmerited favor. Free of charge. He preached God's gospel free of charge. Means his efforts. And, and let me specify this. You're not going to see it because we're going quickly. Free of charge, all of his efforts. His efforts in coming to Corinth, which is a long way from Jerusalem. Like he has planted churches. He has gone everywhere to plant churches, including to Corinth. He, his coming was free of charge. His preaching the gospel was free of charge. What he's driving home here is him coming and him preaching was not for his self-benefit. Like, it was not self-beneficial at all. It was self-sacrificial. That's what he's saying. So much so that in verse 11, he says, and why? Because I don't love you? God knows I do. Do. Paul's point here is, you think I come this far? You, you think that I preach without compensation because I hate you? That doesn't make any sense at all. The only reason I would come this far, the only way I would preach this gospel, which has opened me up to super apostles criticizing me, is because I love you. So he's like, look, my motives are pure. And then in verses 12 through 15, Paul says, I came a long way and I came for free and nobody else who's criticizing me can say either of those things. And you need to take note of that. that. Ultimately, he's comparing himself to the super apostles and he compares himself favorably because his motives are pure and theirs aren't. Now, that leads us to 2 Corinthians 11, verses 16 through 29. Long passage. We're only going to cover part of it. So just listen to the context carefully. I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool so that I may too boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves, and he's speaking sarcastically here, for you bear it if someone makes you slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for all that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool here. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and, other, and often near death. Five times I received at the hand of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked a night and a day adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. He's talking about the super apostles there. In toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all these other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? You talking about me? Am I the weak one? 
Who is made to fall? And I am not indignant? Now look, there's a ton going on here. We're only going to hit some high points. In verses 16 through 21, Paul is absolutely ripping on the Corinthians' supposed sophisticated tolerance of heretical ideas and false teachers. He's like, you guys think you're so sophisticated, you'll fall for anything. I want in that context to look at verses 19 and 20. See what Paul says here. For you gladly bear with fools, being so wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. Here's my point, and I hope you'll receive this. Precise theology simply doesn't restrict us. Now, you hear that all the time, right? Like, I've heard a guy in Houston, Texas go, you know what, I'm not big into theology or, or doctrine. Doctrine divides. That guy's no longer in ministry. He had like a, a crash and burn, like very public display. The whole idea that doctrine divides, like we shouldn't be into doctrine. Doctrine protects. Precise doctrine protects. It, it provides, it protects, and it enables us to live in freedom. That's what precise doctrine does. Look, if you know me, you know I'm a fairly big tent guy, meaning like I'm, I'm kind of a Reformed Baptist guy. So I, I believe in kind of a Reformed soteriology. Some of you don't share that conviction. We're good friends. Like you can worship at Grace Bible Church. I'm not going to try to cast anyone out, anything like that. Like I'm a fairly big tent guy. You can ask any of our pastors. I'm probably one of the most big tent guys on our staff. Here's what I'd say on the other side of that coin. Truth matters. Truth matters. And, and actually, Thursday night, Mary and me and Courtney Garrett were sitting back there after Cole McMillan crushed it on his Thursday night talk. If, if you weren't here, like I'm sad for you, literally. It was so good. But in the aftermath of it, Courtney and Mary and I, we were talking and and ultimately, what really Courtney said, and I thought this was so true, she said, look, what you believe about God, what you believe about his gospel, and what you believe about you in the aftermath of the gospel, you in your identity in Christ, will shape not just how you worship on a Sunday morning, it will shape all aspects of your life. Like it, it matters what you believe about God. Who is God? What is the character of God? What is the nature of God? What is the nature and character of his gospel? And then who are we in the aftermath of that? Are we actually secure? Can we really find our identity in Christ? If you can get those things right, it colors everything. It, it has huge Implication. So the idea that we should just punt on all of that and say doctrine divides, that's Satan's great trap. Because I promise without knowing those things, we can't live in freedom. In verses 21 through 29, Paul does something I think that's pretty comical. He basically says, look, this isn't really about me. That's why he keeps calling himself a fool. He's like, I'm defending myself. I don't want to defend myself, but you're making it about me, these, these super apostles who are accusing him. So, so if you're going to say that we, we've got to make it about me, okay, great. 
here's who I am. And you get in verses 21 through 29, Paul's credentials, and Paul's credentials are super impressive. In short, he has sacrificed and he has suffered for the glory of God, and he has done those things also because of his love for the church. And he's like, I'll put my resume up against any of these Yahoo's resumes any day of the week. Look at verse 28 just before we move on to the next point. And apart from all the sufferings that I have endured and apart from all these other things that I've just mentioned, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And I've got to ride herd on all the churches that I have planted because they are like children to me. And that's, that's a tough gig. And in addition to all the hardships, he lives with the constant concern for the churches he's planted because they are prone to wander. I, the reason I want to talk about that, y'all, is I think Christians give Paul a bad rap. I really do. Like, I think so often Christians are like, you know, Jesus was, you know, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Like, let's re just read the Gospels. And then you're like, I don't know about Paul because Paul's some sort of doctrinal Nazi. He's so exacting and so precise. Look, you're wrong on both counts. The harshest things in the New Testament were said by gentle Jesus, meek and mild. I promise you, go, go read the Gospels, really. You'll see that he says some things that you're like, dang. Okay, so first of all, you're wrong there. And then you need to understand that when Paul is exacting on doctrine, he is exacting on doctrine because he loves the church and he is trying to protect the church. He is trying to enable the church to live in the freedom that the gospel affords. And anything less than the gospel he is preaching is robbing us of freedom. I promise you, that's the truth of Jesus and Paul. I think he gets a bad rap. He loves people. He loves the people of God and he goes all the way, all the way to Corinth, all the way back to Corinth when the people of Corinth are accusing him. Remember, Paul is being criticized for a lack of commitment, for being weak, for being soft. Look at verse 29 with me. Who is weak? You talking to me? Am I the weak one? Who is made to fall? And, and you don't think I should be indignant here? This, this reminds me, and I'm, I'm going to use an illustration, if every guy in this room will promise not to look this video clip up until you're in the foyer after the church service. I need you to raise your hands if you promise that. Okay, because, and, and like, I know that some of you, because you're sinners by nature, are going to do it all the more now. I get it. But the godly ones will look it up later. 2003 on YouTube, you can go find it. I've actually got it on my screen right now. Peyton Manning is being interviewed on the sideline of the 2003 Pro Bowl. And what he's being interviewed on is, is kind of general stuff, but it, it turns in the interview to something that Mike Vanderjack, the Indianapolis Colts place kicker, has said. And he, he basically has said that Peyton Manning and Tony Dungy, the coach of the Indianapolis Colts, are too nice to win the big game. And so Peyton is being interviewed on the sideline, and he, he's asked about Mike Vanderjack's criticisms, and this is essentially what he said. This is an, it's a quote, but I'm, I'm 
cutting out some parts of it. And, you know, Peyton Manning, if you don't know, kind of a southern boy, kind of an all shucks guy, you know, sort of talks like this. And he's like, he's like, oh, you know, I'm in my third Pro Bowl, and I'm, I'm about to go in, and I'm, I'm going to throw a touchdown pass to Jerry Rice. I mean, that, that's a big deal, you know? I mean, he, he's calling his shot. So yeah, I'm about to go in and throw a touchdown pass to Jerry Rice in my third Pro Bowl, and here I am on the sidelines, and I, I'm being asked to respond to our idiot kickers, liquored up comments. And he calls Mike Vanderjack the idiot kicker four times. Yeah. And, and then he goes on and he says, you know, not all kickers are idiots. Like, and then he talks about the former Indianapolis Colts kicker, who he thinks is a great guy. And he's like, but this guy, because he gets liquored up, he says that again, and he runs his mouth off. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And then at the end, this is the best. I, mean, I love this so much. He says, you know, I guess I'm going to have to deal with it once I get back from Hawaii in my third Pro Bowl. He says, when I get back to Indianapolis, if he's still on the team, I'm going to have to address it. You get that, right? Like, he criticized the Pro Bowl quarterback and the coach pretty good chance he never sees Mike Vanderjack again. In verse 29, that's Paul saying of the super apostles, those guys are like NFL kickers. They, they can't talk to me. They, they haven't suffered like I have. They haven't traveled like I have. They haven't demonstrated their fidelity to the gospel and to the church like I have. They're kickers. That's what he's saying. The next four verses are really the point that all the other points have been driving toward. I want you to notice one thing about verse 30. It, it doesn't apologize for being like a fool. So, so Paul, when he writes verses 30 through 33, he's over and over again prior to this said, I know that I sound like a fool, just bear with me. I apologize for sounding like a fool, but bear with me. But here we go, but here we go. He doesn't do that here. He, this is a different type of point. He says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Eretus was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. See what's happening here. In verse 29, he basically says, they're calling me weak? What a joke. These super apostles are a bunch of place kickers. I'm Peyton Manning. That's, that's what he said. So, so me, compared to them, they are weak I am strong. That's what he's saying in verse 29. And then in verse 30, he says, look, I am absolutely stronger than the place kickers. Just look at my resume. But here's the key to my strength. I know that I'm weak. That's his point. My strength is not in me. My strength is knowing that I, apart from the grace of God, can do nothing nothing. And so I live in dependence on God, and God fortifies me. He gives me strength, 
and the things that I have accomplished certainly prove that I am greater than the place kickers. But the things that I have accomplished have only been accomplished by the strength of Christ in me. That's it. That's what he won't apologize for. Look, the world promotes self-sufficiency. The world promotes rugged individualism. The world promotes charisma over character. The way of Christ is dependence. The way of Christ is humility such that we might live in dependence. And humility and dependence produce in us a fortitude that helps us to endure all circumstances as we continue to proclaim God's great and glorious gospel. That's what he's saying. And I wonder if we in the American church haven't turned this upside down. How is your dependence on God? Let me ask a better question. It's the same question in a different way. Are you praying without ceasing? Because that's the same question. How is your dependence on God? If you are dependent on God, you are praying without ceasing. How is your dependence on God? What makes you desperately dependent on God every morning when you wake up? Like, what, where do you pray desperate prayers? You got to figure that out. You've got to figure out a way to need more than yourself to get through the day. You've got to figure out a way to be desperately dependent on God. That's actually the great thing about Hilltop Adventures for me right now, like trying to get it up and running. I pray desperate prayers. I hate it, and I love it. But what is it for you? What is it that you are trying to do that is beyond your capabilities? What makes you desperately dependent on God every day. If you struggle to come up with that answer, I'll give you a hint that might help you. You will figure out the answer to that when you are willing to abandon the immense comfort that is normalized in this culture. The reality is we are so affluent, we are so comfortable, we are so entitled to whatever vacations that we are conditioned to go on all the time that we do not see our immediate need on a day in and day out basis for God's provision how do you step out of your comfort zone you need to figure it out it, it might be in some sort of financial plan where you're giving liberally it might be in some sort of ministry that you are embracing that, that takes you out of your comfort zone where, where you've got to go, Lord, I can't do this. Show up, please. I beg you. But you got to figure it out. you, you got to figure it out because you won't grow in the joyful dependence on God that he wants for you until you do. I'll tell you what the greatest example of desperate dependence the very best example that I can think of for desperate dependence is Jesus in a garden. And he says, Lord, take this cup from my hand, 
but not your will, but mine be done. And God doesn't take the cup from his hand, and Jesus willingly mounts a cross to die a sinner's death, to demonstrate dependence on God, but also to make provision for the gaps between desperate dependence and us. Where, where we have fallen short in our self-sufficiency, where we have fallen short in our self-satisfaction, where we have fallen short in our sin. God has made a way in the work of Jesus on the cross. We're going to celebrate communion here in a second. I want you all to spend some time. If you need to repent of self-sufficiency, if, if you need to get back to dependence, and, and maybe just to ask God, show me the way forward that I might rely upon you and your power more consistently. Pray that prayer. But when the musicians begin to play and you are coming up to take the bread first and the cup back to your seats, I want you to come knowing that where you have fallen short, Christ has made a way for that. He, he has taken whatever sin you have committed and he has borne the consequence for that sin and you are free in Christ so come with joy when you come. Once everyone's been served, we'll partake of the elements together. Pray now, repent as needed, and then come with joy and hope in the work of Christ.